This is the Clean Web Conversations podcast, growing the global clean web community. It is your host, Woon Tan. My name is Woon Tan and uh, I'm the host of Clean Web TV. Uh, with me today, I've got uh, Damon Hart Davis, who's the CEO of OpenTRV. Uh, I knew you, I knew you from uh, the Clean Web Meetup, and you're also one of the organizers. Uh, you've actually organized one of the IoT meetups uh, for Clean Web last year, and you are the CEO of OpenTRV Thermostatic Radiator Valve. You are uh, also uh, you've. You've run previous companies, uh, including Xaris, Xnet, and DHD Multimedia Gallery, according to your, Wiki, uh, well, your LinkedIn profile. Well, that's not a real company, but it's just a website, but yes, yes. Yeah, and, um, and you're also currently the director of Kingston Community Energy. Yes, although that's not doing anything. That's <laughs> slightly annoying, and it may not get that to now because of the changes in the renewables support, but yes. Um, but we're here today to talk about OpenTRV. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump straight into it. What, uh, what does OpenTRV do? The company or the device? Well, let's start with the device because okay. I think that helps. So um, those of you who heat your homes with radiators, well, at the end of the radiators, usually have something at the end that goes from frost up to, you know, star, zero, one, two, three, four, five, okay? And that's the thermostatic radiator valve. So the idea is that in the old days, in the bad old days, you used to have to try and get your rooms the right temperature by twiddling the knob up and down to balance the flow through the radiator, which is a bloody nightmare. Um, and a thermostatic radiator valve is nice because what it does is keep relatively steady temperature, and human beings like steady temperatures. So the TRVs do save energy, and they're good, and they're nominally mandatory in all UK houses and so on. Um, but in practice, people don't use them terribly well. And one thing they cannot do, which we're fixing, is turn off the heat when there's no one around to actually need it. So you're making the thermostatic radiator valve intelligent smart. Yes. So look, here's, a, here's our almost hot off the Shenzhen production line. Uh, it hasn't got the decals on it and stuff. And it's a bit fatter than we'd like and bigger. But, you know, it's just a normal thermostatic radiator valve. So there'll be a dial, you know, here's the pointer moving along here. And there'll be something from cold through to hot here and this is all you have to do however if you leave it at some temperature you like and then you go out of the room for an hour or two and you're not likely to be back soon because it remembers your previous behavior it can cut the heat and if you have it at the most it's also more aggressive about cutting it if you're at the colder end and it can save you up to 30 percent by dropping the temperature as much as three degrees when you're not there and you shouldn't need there's no instruction manual or anything you shouldn't need it so it looks like a normal trv it quacks like a normal TRV, but the aimings are to get you between 30 and 50% savings. And that's the idea, just making it slightly smarter. And, and, that's, and that itself is a, is a really powerful concept because there, at the moment it's, it's such a... That we've got so many issues with our heating that we don't actually um, realise how much energy we're losing. Well, we reckon that the average UK household is wasting 50% of the energy it puts into space heating, not water heating, space heating. And actually what's terrible is that that's something like 10%, that wasted bit is 10% of the UK's entire carbon emissions. So we're hoping to get rid of that. Yet people don't like touching the heating systems, they're frightened of them. 
or they're bored of them, or the only interaction they want is when they get a big bill in March is to whine about it. And, and we just know people don't touch eating, but would like it to cost a lot less, and some people would like to solve the carbon issue as well. Uh, I'm just having a discussion earlier today with a chap who's a PhD here at Imperial, who has one of the same programmable radiator valves as I did before I started OpenTRV, who finds it so complicated he's taken it off. Well, I took mine off and started OpenTRV. So the problem is, if a PhD... I'm, I've got a mere master's in computer theoretical computer science. He's got a PhD in it, and we can't operate a programmable radiator valve. And an ordinary mechanical one isn't cutting it in terms of energy. There's a gap. So we're trying to fill it in and make this thing do some more of the hard work for you. What... What's the sort of, you know, what, what, what's making it complicated? Well, so a, a programmable radiator valve is something where you can say, right, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, please raise the temperature to 21 degrees, and then an hour and a half later, knock it down to 20, and then at 6 p.m., knock it up to 22 again, and then at 10 p.m., turn it off, and then at 6 a.m., turn it on. Well, first of all, you have to set a timer, and you have to know what temperatures you want and you have to have a regular schedule and you have to know what that schedule is and furthermore these things are usually on a radiator stuck down behind something with very poor lighting so perhaps I could hardly even read the display but it's things like press this button for 3.45 seconds then you know clap your hands together and press this one and it's incredibly complicated whereas the aim of this thing is it just sits there and watches your activity and works out what you generally do and has a target temperature on it and does its best to cut heat around that. Make it do the work rather than a human being. Okay. So, so Damon, tell me more about how, how you sort of started working on this problem. What, what got you involved? What the, 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 all right, so OpenTRV is about um, ultimately about cutting carbon. And I'm interested in all sorts of ways of cutting carbon. Um, and I got into it because... Uh, well, my Damascene moment was in August 2007 when I, um, someone pointed out to me, I had a computer room, I was running an internet service provider a little while before that, and I still had all the computer equipment, and my room would overheat and get up to 30 degrees in the summer, hours and could cool it, and I was paid by one of the big merchant banks to optimise their code, and someone pointed out to me I could optimise my energy use the same way I optimised the code, and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting, and indeed I have, I used a third of the energy now that I used to back in 2007, yet my house is warmer and I've added two children to the family. So that's definitely been an interesting optimization puzzle. And then along the way, I um, stopped being skeptical about global warming and realized that energy wasn't really just the thing to optimize for, but carbon. And having discussions with David Mackay, who became chief scientist at the deck and wrote the sustainable energy without the hot air, it turned out heating was a really good thing to target. So that's how I got to the start of Open TRV, basically. Okay. And, and, and that was how many years ago? Yeah. So October 2012, I was invited to lead a smart heating workshop at deck, which is actually in the bowels of BIS rather than deck. But anyway, um, and... The, one of the people at the meeting was from Honeywell and said, oh, I'll give you all that kit which does all of this already. Don't worry, your pretty little head. And, of course, nothing ever turned up. So I mean, in January 2013, I thought, scratch that itch myself and created OpenTRV, the open source project. And it took a little while after that to start the company, but the project has been going since Jan 2013. Okay. And um, so for... You know, for 
why why is it open? What 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 makes? Uh, mm. what, why did you go down that route? Interesting. Okay. So, um, and how, and how, how does been, it work? I've spent well. All right. So interestingly, I have spent twenty years working in investment banking, albeit in IT, and it's made me very clear that I'm not interested in money particularly. Because if I was, I'd be a trader. And all my friends say, Damien, you could have millions if you did X, Y, or Z. And I said it would bore me pantless. So it isn't money isn't a motivator for me. I am motivated to do A interesting things and B good things in terms of carbon and so on. And having kids focuses the mind because I'd rather they don't grow up in a world which is um, horrible. Um, but I, you know, we don't need to get excessively cuddly about it. It's just it's a good thing to do and it should be fun to do it and this is a way of doing it. Now open. So if I'm not driven by maximizing profit, I can be maximizing some other property. Remember I was paid by the investment bank to optimize stuff and you can pick what it is you're optimizing and what seems to be the right thing to optimize is megatons of carbon saved okay and um, so OpenTRV is morphed into a social enterprise where its strategic key performance indicator its first one is megatons of carbon and dark side saved and the second one as it happens is health because a bunch of people maybe 10% of the population actually has to make unpleasant decisions between eating and heating sometimes for example and we'd like to help them by making it go better but nonetheless in general our target is about optimising carbon and that's what the project is trying to do um, yeah so 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 you, you sort of mentioned you're a social enterprise. And yeah. What's the why? Why did you go down the route of being a social enterprise? Because I think that's quite an interesting. Well, that goes with the open as well. So I think the way of generating the maximum. So who? So I've said before that motor money in my pocket wasn't a huge motivator. You know, once I paid for the heating bills. So what I'm quite interested in is, and always have been, is generating good, a public good that other people can use, which is one reason for doing open source, by the way, um, because a typical example is Netscape. Netscape fell over, but they carefully put all their source code under an open source license, so when they fell over, ooh, someone called Mozilla picked it up and carried right on. Yeah. So the point about something like OpenTRV is even if we don't execute it perfectly, someone might be able to pick up what we've done and run with it. Okay. And a social enterprise is the same. It's about maximising the external value. Because we're trying to do a public good here, which is cut carbon. And I'd like to do as much of it in a public way as possible, which is open source, and having this KPI number one, which is carbon, and KPI number two, which is health. And those things all go together. Now, there is a conflict. If we want to... We have a target of being on 400 million European domestic radiators... Um, in due course and if we're going to grow a company big enough to do that it can't be what, what some people call a lifestyle company you know being a consultant or whatever that requires uh, some real commercial activity and so we will need to protect some revenue sources and some people hate us for doing that but we're always going to have this open element and part of it's self-interest because there's a lot of really smart people out there and if we keep stuff open people will help us solve the problems because it helps them too um, so it's just an interesting thing. Social says, I don't want all the benefits myself. Um, I, I've got enough. And it's a way of sharing benefits as widely as possible. Plus it's more fun. IT guys don't socialise enough. And this means I get to drink more beers. So, so is, that, is that true that it's, 
it's much more difficult if you're a social enterprise versus... It depends what you mean by difficult. So, look, if, if you were... So I worked with a chap who was paid several million pounds a year for turning up to work, and he got a bonus on top of it, he did his job well. And he got bored and quit in his 40s, saying there was nothing else, there's no point in him earning any more money. So was that a difficult job or not a difficult job? It certainly wasn't one he wanted to carry on doing. Um, I'm motivated by doing interesting technology, and as long as I can go on doing that and eating and feeding my family and heating the house, um, it's no more difficult than working an investment bank. What's interesting about running a company with a double or a triple bottom line is that you aren't just maximising one parameter. You're maximising several. But any good engineer does that anyway. So if you build a banking application, you don't just optimise for security and then, oh, users can't log in. You have to optimise for security and usability and back-end computing time and so on. So all you're doing is explicitly balancing a number of goals. So it's not necessarily more difficult, it's just a different jo- a different, uh, a different task. I think it's really interesting to, to understand your sort of perspective from an engineering background and how, how you run a company. Yeah, well, a when when I am Richard Balanson, you can take business advice <laughs> from me. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't been uh, CEO of a growth company before, so this is a first for me. I was CTO of a previous company, which is turning over 10 million a year, Exorus, as you mentioned. But I wasn't really in the, you know, I was nominally in the management team, but I wasn't. So, you know, I'm learning on the job for this one. Cool. Um, so, so let's, um, yeah, let, let's sort of explore that sort of further. What, what, what's the sort of uh, current team like? Uh, so that's my business partner with whom I'm an equal shareholder, Mark, who, um, without whom... <laughs> None of this would happen. So Mark uh, came up to me. Uh, OpenTRV won third prize in a British gas. We keep interacting with British gas. So I can tell you about that later, maybe. But a British gas competition in September 2012, I think it was, or something like that, um, connecting homes. And Mark came up to me and said, "Would you like someone to help you run the non-technical bits of the company?" And I said, "Oh yes, please." And uh, Mark does that par excellence. So we you know the funding we've raised from Climate Kick and from Innovate UK and so on would not happen if he were not doing that. And the person who's doing most of the work on the business plan and the financials is again Mark. Um, and uh, you know we're equal partners because I consider us trustees of this. We're never going to make a trade exit. Now we have uh, it's difficult to count. It's a continuous hiring, people coming and going. We have interns and and so on and we have someone we had doing a handover today from one employee to a new one um, but I would say we have about 10 people floating around as employees or part-time employees or interns and we probably have a similar number of people maybe if, yeah, similar number of people in the open source community but because we don't have big funding yet no one is a, a really full-time permanent employee because we might just not be able to pay them in February so you know we, it's pretty flexible though. So, um, what what is the sort of you know current sort of business uh, as usual that's happening right now? Like what what's what's sort of keeping you up uh, at night? Right oh, how many things have you got to do? <laughs> so I've got to. I, I normally have two roles: um, CTO and COO. So what's been keeping me up at night? of late mostly is actually technical stuff because we've got some very tight deadlines to deliver technical stuff 
and um, when you're developing very fast, things get broken. All right, so I'll, I won't bore you with that, but there's been a lot of that. But we also are applying for funding with, and here's the British Gas Angler Gang, Ignite, which is a social impact fund of Centrica. And they have a deadline at the end of January, and we have to get business plans ready and all of this sort of stuff. And, and really, you know, thoroughly understand what we are going to do to do this balance between, you know, we think we've got it, but, you know, it has to be good enough to convince us and Ignite. Now, luckily, I think Mark is probably spending more time waking up in the middle of the night sweating about manufacturing. And you saw this. This is he, he was out in Shenzhen watching yeah. the plastics being made. Um, he's sweating about that in the business plan, and I am sweating about the um, firmware and, I guess, general strategy and so on. So, you know, we've, we'll probably s- split the stress. Um, so our aim is we're trying to get in. We are getting some trials going now for, for this winter. And we are trying to get this funding sorted. If we get that funding sorted, that will allow us to grow. Cool. And and so, how how did the the trip to Shenzhen go? Because I knew you went there. Well, uh, Mark went there Mark. a couple of weeks ago. Yes, uh, very well. I think Mark would be able to better tell you than me. But he learned an awful lot about the details of manufacturing. I mean, we have been learning a lot. Um, we are hardware and software people in terms of electronics and software, and we're perfectly comfortable with that, but when it comes to mechanics and plastics, we knew nothing. Or as near nothing as you couldn't tell the difference. Manufacturing is a whole... And there's a whole new thing, and it's going to be absolutely critical if we're going to hit the price points we want, which is, by the way, we should get this for the record, it's £10, including VAT. You, as an end user, ought to be able to go into Argos or something and buy one of these for a tenner, including VAT, and fit it yourself, no plumber, no electrician or anything, and save enough money in the first year from that radiator for it to pay for itself. Now, at the moment, these are costing us something like, we don't know what the factory gate price is because we haven't got the first one come out of it yet. Um, but we're expecting, say, 50, just for the sake of argument. Well, it'll need to be a factory gate price of more like £3 to hit our target. Now, we're fairly sure we can do it, um, but one of the aspects is getting the plastics done right. And the injection moulding, every time you do an injection mould for a piece of plastic, costs you um, 6,000 quid, uh, generally, and we had 10 pieces in there. We've managed to reduce the number of those and do the moulding better and get the cost of the moulds down to 20-odd thousands so that we can actually make our first run of 500. Um, and so with all sorts of things like getting screw fittings and getting the collet nut at the bottom and getting the right length on the motor shaft and getting the right plastics and getting the tolerances correct, just, it's all detail. It's yeah. all the devil is in the detail. And is it much more difficult operating a hardware sort of business versus running something purely on the software side because the iteration... Well, I say, come back and ask me when I've been successful. But <laughs> the, uh, so sitting in a, a merchant bank for, you know, on and off for 20 years or what have you, churning, absolutely churning software and manipulating numbers to make traders happy is probably as software as you're going to get and it's not particularly limited by budget. You have all the tools to play with and if you need a £2,000 piece of software, you can generally have it. Um, through to this thing, which is, you know, we're, we're playing in kind of Arduino land and stuff. No, I think um, what's useful for Mark and I is we have skills all the way up. You know, I'm used to sitting with traders and delivering apps to them. Mark, you know, done the smartphone apps and so on. All the way down to actually building electronics, soldering stuff. So we understand that there's no isolated little one piece that we have to get right. We build this better mousetrap and it's all sorted. It's about the whole package. And indeed, it'll be about the marketing and the 
the technology, I think, of getting our thing actually into those four onto those four hundred million radiators. I think technology is only about twenty percent of the game. I think it's getting the marketing, the sales channels, the the routes to market, the engagement, the UI, the you know all of the other stuff, right? And the technology is really only small bits. So whether that happened to be more software focused or hardware focused, I suspect makes relatively little difference. That's my guess. But as I say, come back and ask me in ten years and see. Uh, or ask Mark, he'll probably be CEO, and I'll have swapped roles or something. But you know, come back and ask us in ten years' time and see how it went. Okay. So, um, in terms in terms of the the business open TRV, what what sort of customers are you looking at? Because I know you you're going for social landlords and you know, bus stops and things like that. Oh well, bus stops is not the. <laughs> Yeah. I'll, I'll come back so to bus collaborations stops. Like this. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, 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 I'll come back to bus stops. No, I'm not going to put a radiator in every bus stop. In, <laughs> that would be very popular, but unwise from a carbon point of view. Um, so our ultimate aim, if we're going to get scale, is to be on as many as possible of the domestic radiators in Europe, which is where, for, for central heating, gas-fired, quick response, central heating with radiators is our target, and we want to be on the, va- the vast majority of those. Ultimately, we will only get there with retail. However, I mean, A, that means we need to do retail right. If someone, say, like Coca-Cola, can launch a brand and it dies, and they do nothing other than be a consumer product, it just shows you the risk of doing anything in retail. And I've had a small dabble in retail myself. I was one of the very earliest internet service providers in the UK. And I know how hard it is to get retail right. Plus, you've got the cost reduction to do. So that's our target. It's about three years-ish from now is to be starting to get into retail in a big way, first the UK, then Europe. But coming back from that, we wanted to find a slow... Oh, and, and retail customers do bananas things like only think about heating when it's already cold. I think I'm the only person in the world who does insulation and boiler upgrades in the middle of summer. Because obviously you don't need it then, so it doesn't matter. But most people don't. So you go and ask a typical heating company, they'll say they sell three times as many units when the weather is cold as when it's warm. But, you know, why? So the problem is cash flow is horrible for us then because we'd have to make a whole bunch of stuff in March for people to get onto the shelves in September, for people to think about buying and not get money till December. And trade finance are 3% a month, that would kill us. So we, are, we have the health goal as well, which we've spoken about. And... Um, one way of achieving that is with social landlords, who, who we can then have a more sane commercial relationship with. You understand you don't spend all your money on heating systems on September the 1st. You spend it throughout the year. So cash flow might be better. They might be a little bit less price sensitive. And there is, and here we come to the bus stops, the thing which is interesting. Inside this, it's, it's an IoT device. We realise it's IoT because it's got sensors, it's got an actuator, it's got a microcontroller, it's got a radio link. And it, although it can work standalone, it works better when connected into a network. So if your network fails, this thing will still do a reasonable job. But if it's connected, it can do something smart. And we were looking at this thinking, yeah, we'd just like to be able to plug a different sensor in here and a different one in there. And we thought, we're an IoT company. And thus, when IoT Launchpad came up, uh, we thought we'd like to just prove the technology under here was doing the right thing. And... Um, Lots of people keep reinventing the wheel for their IoT projects all the time, and software people find the hardware aspects hard. So what we are trying to do with the Launchpad project is take what we've got here, and, and for example, our security technology in here, we have, as far as I know, the only, very liberally, that's Apache license, AES GCM implementation, which is microcontroller compatible. It's in GitHub, OT, AES, GCM, go and get it. 
and it's the only one that implements the sort of thing that we get out of out of this work and doing occupancy sensing which is key to this in bus stops so the point about the bus stops was for example in London the operator knows it paid £117 million pounds back in 2007-8 in order to track all its buses in real time it knows where all its buses are it has no idea where its passengers are so what we'd like to do is have a cheap effective way for them to equip all of their 19,500 bus stops in London with something which can tell when people are waiting and send fewer buses uh, when uh, there's no one waiting and send more when they are waiting feed into the journey planner and divert people onto other routes when they're busy Ooh, oh and by the way who pays for most of the bus shows in London the advertising companies they'd like to know when people are actually looking at the ads so there would be a triple win if we could take some of the technology that we developed for this which is occupancy and yeah. put it in there so it's IOT this is an IOT play yeah. we instantly are never I don't say never say never but I think that it would be a terrible error and this is one of the things we have to learn as a technologist not to sell this to the general public as IOT we mustn't go selling this as a technology thing or we can sell a nicer one which is Apple compatible and has Chrome on it yeah. as IOT but if we're going to sell those 400 million this just should be just sold as something which saves you energy and money Yeah, I, I, I think I really agree with that that IOT doesn't mean anything to the it's techno battle yeah. And we want to get the technology out of the way. You don't want it's just a smart valve, but it is IoT inside, and that's how we get the bus shelters thing, and that's how we, you know, th that was the link there. And, and so, in terms of IoT, the Internet of Things, so y you obviously, as a company, uh, part of this wave of connected devices that are, that are sort of bubbling up and what, what does it mean? Well, there's been Is connectivity it? around for a while, so I, I'm, a, I'm the proud owner of a bunch of slightly rotting X10 stuff, for example. Um, and people have been doing home automation for ages and so on. And some of it is just geeking out, so the people who want to be able to open and control their curtains. You know the most popular feature apparently on um, Hive is um, the fact that people can turn their heating off while sitting on their sofa. All right, so it's the remote control aspect. Right. That's just... The uh, the most uh, popular part of Hive is the fact that people can switch on and off from their smartphone, and people do want to switch things on off. Now there are some genuine applications like making your home look occupied when you're when you go away on holiday or maybe you did leave the heating off when you went on holiday, or maybe you're coming home unusually early. Um, but, but there have always been some home automation things, and uh, Open Energy Monitor is a nice example of, of, of the other way of gathering the data and observing what's going on in your house. Um, the trouble is that, A, technology is being a bit expensive and bulky, and I think as technology gets better, by the way, we should be making smaller and smaller and smaller devices, not making them able to connect to the internet. I think the Internet of Things, the thing should never touch the Internet, by the way. Part of my technical philosophy is you should always have something in between which is a guardian to protect these devices, which may have to last for 20 or 30 years, against threats on the Internet which are evolving by the month. But anyway, you should get smaller and smaller and cheaper devices so that anyone could have, you know, temperature and humidity sensors in every room in their house without being bothered. And by the way, the sale to the social housing landlords is to monitor things like mould, um, 
vulnerable people not putting their heating on, and so it's the monitoring that will select to them. So the and health. That, yes, and it only makes sense to them. But it's also if people are drying their clothes inside with the windows closed, and then they get uh, condensation and mould, and uh, you know their extensive repairs have to happen to a property that's expensive. So social landlords are quite interested in that, and it's only worth doing it if those devices are not intrusive or expensive. So you need to get the costs down. And the other aspect, which has not been dealt with at all well until now, which is why I keep going about the security, is the security. So the fact is that Zigbee, which a lot of things are based on, is if you go and look up Bee Killer on the web and you'll discover that it's completely vulnerable. And a lot of stuff like Lightwave um, is, is open. Our current protocols are totally open, which means that my nightmare is if you had a nursing home, which is all open TRV, and we don't secure it, some bored teenager in a set of flats um, overlooking them can just turn all the heating off until they die or have to evacuate. So we don't want that sort of stuff. And so IoT stuff traditionally, and, and SCADA, the control systems have had traditionally very, very poor security. So a very important aspect of our launch pad and our valve stuff is to get the security aspect right and to give that away so other people can use it for free and not mess it up themselves. Thus the library I was telling you about earlier is a part of that. Um, So Internet of Things um, you know when only 0.1% of the population is doing it, the fact that security is appalling is uh, interesting but not the end of the world. If 80% of EU's radiators were vulnerable to being hacked by I don't know, that poor teenager or the Russian state or the Chinese or whatever the, you know, tomorrow's threat is. Actually, it's mainly compromised internet routers in Thailand appears to be the big issue of the moment, by the way. Um, then it's not acceptable to have no security or have it as an afterthought. So a very important part of what we're doing, I think, is making that security element work so that you are as safe in your house as if you weren't connected. Well, and that's yeah, including for these valves. Hey, even the bus shelters. Let me give you an example of why. If we we would like to tweet basically um, the status of every bus shelter, if you're that spot, you're at least saying, oh, don't get on Route 49 at the moment; it's absolutely packed. Go and get on Route whatever it is instead. Um, however, and that, you know, who's selling at a bus shelter is hardly private information. I can go and stand and watch. However, if I'm a mugger and I'm looking for a target, it's three in the morning, and I suddenly notice that just this shelter has someone in it and no one else does, that's potentially quite sensitive information. So we ought to be able to protectively secure, secure that information between midnight and 6am and have it not public and totally secure at that time. Still gets fed to the transport operator, still gets fed to the advertising companies with the right sort of controls, but not to the general public. So there are all sorts of aspects of smart cities and IoT where security really needs thinking hard about. Right, very, very, very interesting. Um, so, can you talk us through about the in terms of the development of Open TRV as a company? That uh, you're part of this, um, the the, um, the period, yeah. So we okay. So we started off as open source project, and that will continue. Um, but in order to commercialize this, we well, we need to make it commercial. And so we applied to Climate Kick. It's just we talked to Climate Kick about what we were trying to do. And um, they said, yes, join our accelerator. And there was some other funding as well, by the way, for an initial version of that valve. Um, so we are in Climate Kick. And as part of the Climate Kick, we are today at Imperial uh, incub- in the Imperial Incubator. 
and it's great. It means we can come here. I've got you know up to kind of ten people, and I don't have an office with space for ten people, but we do have the Imperial Incubator, so we can have six of us turn up at once, and it wouldn't be a problem. So we're here, but we also got the Innovate UK um, money while we were developing this concept of, yeah, we're really an IoT energy efficiency company, of which the primary product set to start with is um, uh, uh, domestic energy heating saving, but we want to round it out a little bit to make sure we're not missing a trick. And we do have other things we'd like to do, like if we have open TRV, there are sort of 20 million houses with gas-fired central heating in the UK, each of which has a 50-watt-ish circulation pump. If open TRV could notice the grid is struggling and turn them all off at once, and it would be easy to do, by the way, that's a gigawatt of energy we just cut from the grid demand. That's really quite significant. That's on the same scale as what National Grid has commercially available. Okay, so there are all sorts of things like that. So we're thinking of is energy efficiency. Uh, our kind of vision is, uh, our mission is, is to provide um, energy efficiency and carbon saving for Joe everybody. You don't need to be a geek to have the benefit of our stuff. So that means making simple stuff like this with a single dial that does the job. Okay. Um, and so the company has grown from just being this open source thing, addressing this particular issue, to now with a, a proper plan and a vision of where we want to be in three and five years and beyond, uh, trying to get funding so that we can actually get onto those four, 80% of European domestic radiators um, with manufacturing. So we had some angel funding which paid for us to do the manufacturing, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, we expect to be... A, yeah, a growth company, a multi-million pound company. Um, and then that's interesting, because if you're a social enterprise, how do people get their money back? Um, so, you know, these are some of the aspects that we, um, you know, have to deal with. It's very interesting. And it, it just reminds me that um, you're also part of the, is the Impact Hub uh, crowdfunding campaign or crowdfunding course that, um, that you're yes, part of. Yes, that was so interesting. I've, so I'm guessing you're that's something that you might be going down. Well, we would we would very much like. I mean, um, Ignite has been wonderful to work with. By the way, it's also great to have the chance to talk to the CEO of Centrica. Um, you know, which is and say, you know, you should be decoupling a bit and selling the, the service, not the the energy. You know, and he didn't say yes, I'm giving it all up, or no, we're not doing any of that. So it's an interesting chat. But, uh, no, I do very much hope that we continue to work with, with Ignite, who have been great and supportive and helped us realise that we are a social enterprise. But, you know, we can't count our chickens. And if we're not going to go fat, then we need to look at alternatives if that doesn't work. And one of those is crowdfunding. And um, we'd probably do a couple of stages of that if we did it. We'd probably do it for product first, product stroke rewards, and then do it for equity or something like that. But, you know, we'll talk to other impact funds or so on. But um, crowdfunding is one possibility. And because we've got physical products, we would pass many of the kind of sniff tests yeah. people like Kickstarter these days. We've got physical product, which is working, and we'll have some tests for and stuff, which is good. You know, it's not just vaporware. Cool. Um So, in terms of, say, if we were in the year 2021, 
sounding like it should be the start of that in the year 2025 or whatever, 2525. Uh, you know, looking back, what, what what would you say Open TRVF sort of achieved? What, what would be some of the highlights that uh, you uh, want? Uh, the, the, the thing we're aiming for is to move the need long carbon saving. And, you know, I'm sure you know, there are no guarantees of success by any particular metric. I think we have a reasonable chance. We really have a significant chance, chance of knocking several percent of the UK's entire carbon footprint and indeed across the whole of Europe and now if you're saying six years from now we will be starting to make an impact I think I set a a nominal internal target I don't know if it's survived in the business plan of having knocked a percent off the UK's carbon footprint cumulatively as it were by about that time now you know that suggested internal target may not to survive but that would be you know I'd hope we'd be there that we'd have moved the needle someone could tell what OpenTR existed because of that little chunk of carbon that went away from the UK's uh, emissions right very powerful a very sort of inspiring uh, statement for for your organisation we're also by the way going to have fun because <laughs> um, we're technologists and we're going to have fun doing it and we're going to be creative and um, do exciting things and you know because we're not driven by making money so we're not going to just be slogging away for five years to get there we're going to have fun on the way as well otherwise it's not going to hang together so for people who are interested um, to find out more about open TRV West what's the best place to uh, go Twitter account at OpenTRV, uh, website OpenTRV.uk. Yes, I know we need to redo it. Um, we've got mailing lists. Um, essentially, all of our stuff is published on GitHub. There will be a few bits which we have to retain to generate predictable revenue streams from the business, but basically everything we can is published um, on GitHub. And um, if you really want to, you can just drop us an email, opentrv at opentrv.uk, and we'll attempt to respond. We'll probably be overwhelmed by spam now, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we do talks and we are at events. We've got a calendar, a public calendar in um, Google as well. If you go and look up our open calendar, you can see the events we're participating in as well. And if anyone's going to get to see this before the end of January, we will be at FOSDEM as well, drinking beer and pretending to do technology. Right. Okay. Um, Thank you very much, uh, Damon. Uh, It's been a pleasure chatting, and um, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. to the clean web conversations podcast are you interested to learn more about the clean web movement head over to cleanweb.tv that's cleanweb.tv